Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet checked out my book, Behind the Pink Ribbon, you can find it on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. On this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Shauna Geigel, a nurse practitioner in Oregon. Shauna was diagnosed with stage 2A invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 34. She shares her story of going through breast cancer, where she found support, and how she hopes to use her experience to help others. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Shauna today, and we're going to talk about Shauna's breast cancer story. So thank you for coming on the show, and uh, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Ah, Super excited to um, hear your story. Not that there's really anything exciting about a breast cancer diagnosis, but, um, you know, (laughs) hearing everybody's story is, um, has been pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis. Um, did you find a lump in your breast? How did, how did everything kind of come about for you? Yeah. Um, I was, um, in the shower one morning and I was soaping up my armpit to shave my armpit and I felt a lump in like the upper outer left um, breast and um, uh, cause I am, I was 34 when I was diagnosed. So um, I'm not old enough to get mammograms. So, right. <laughs> um, so I went into my PCP and um, she ordered a mammogram at, Two weeks later, had that. So did you, Uh, when you found the lump, did you think it was cancer or did you just think, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's cysts or do you remember what was um, was happening? Yeah, no, I mean, um, um, I'm a a nurse practitioner, so I mean, it's, that's what I do for a living. And so I knew that it could be, but I was definitely not on that wavelength at all. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I had the mammogram and, um, at that time I felt like that it was probably cancer when I had the mammogram and the ultrasound, just because of my medical background, I could see the ultrasound. I could see that it wasn't just, it wasn't just a simple cyst and it was tunneling. Um, so I kind of had the feeling that it was going to be cancer at that time, but I obviously I didn't know because I hadn't, hadn't had the biopsy yet. Um, and then a week after the mammogram, I had the biopsy and then three days after that, I got the call that it was cancer. So, I mean, so I'm just thinking like, from my perspective, I remember seeing the ultrasound and I remember thinking, "Mm, you know, this isn't anything that I'm completely familiar with, but something looks off here. I can't imagine being a nurse practitioner and having kind of, you know, some information and, and more knowledge than the average person and seeing that. 
Um, so, I mean, were you, like, at that point, you were just kind of like, I'm pretty sure this is what it is, but maybe not? Yeah, that was pretty much where I was. Um, I was, obviously, everybody hopes that they don't have cancer, yeah. um, but I definitely knew that it wasn't just, like, a cyst, um, so. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't imagine that, because I know, I know what I was thinking, um, so, yeah, that's. I feel like it's got to be a little bit different. So you were 34. Um, you, you found this when you, when you got the diagnosis, did they give you a stage? Um, did they give you like a level of aggression? Like what, what was that information? How, how big was the tumor? Um, um, you know, they didn't, um, when I got the call, it was from the radiologist and, um, so he just basically said, yeah, it's cancer, um, but I didn't know what stage or what grade or anything like that. And um, I was able to get that information from my PCP. Um, she, she just printed off the um, pathology report for me, and I was able to look at the pathology report. Um, and uh, and I kind of took it around to some of my um, MD friends at work and um, you know, they were sort of, yeah, you know, it doesn't look good. <laughs> so, um, it's, um, and I was, um, barely estrogen positive. I was only 20%. And then I was progesterone negative, HER2 negative, but I was grade three of three. So it was aggressive. So, yeah, it was pretty aggressive. So, yeah. so then from there, uh, well, first of all, do you have a history of, um, breast cancer in your family? Is there any kind of genetic link? Nope. No, not, nope. And my um, BRCA1 and 2 um, were negative. Um, and it was, it's kind of interesting um, being somebody that I try to educate other women on, you know, the risks of breast cancer and whatnot. And uh, I didn't even realize that uh, 90 to 95% of all breast cancer has nothing to do with your genetics. So. Yeah. It's, it was pretty shocking to me to, to learn all of that through this process as well. So, Sure. Yeah. And I think that's the, the um, thing that people don't know. I mean, I, once you're kind of into the whole breast cancer thing, you learn so much more than you really ever wanted to know. Uh, right. But I do remember exactly what you said where, you know, my doctor <laughs> said to me, well, it's only 7 to 10% of the population that has a genetic link to their breast cancer. Um, you know, so right. I, I, for one, am a BRCA2 carrier, but I don't very often meet other BRCA carriers. Um, right. So it truly is, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the other causes are. I think there can be a number of things, but, sure. you know, for, so I guess let me ask this question because I, because I don't meet many people who are BRCA2. For me, I have a reason, right? Like I know that uh -huh. I have this genetic link. So for somebody that doesn't have a, a link to a genetic mutation, like, does that kind of just leave you feeling kind of unsure about like, I mean, I just, I don't know how to, how somebody processes like, well, what happened? You know, like, right. why did this happen? So do you feel that way? Because you don't have something that's like, well, this is the reason why I got cancer. You. Yeah, um, it's de I definitely tried to take it at um, 
from an approach of like, um, take it with a, a grain of salt, um, approach. Um, it just happened and, um, it happens to people all the time. Um, you know, one in eight women get breast cancer. So, <laughs> um, and there's so many environmental, um, toxins out there. It, uh, who knows, you know, um, right. Yeah. It, it, I just pretty much, um, I, I tried not to, to dwell too much on it where, uh, you know, maybe it's something that I did or something, my, my diet. Cause I was, I tried to eat as organic as possible prior. Mm-hmm. Um, so for several, like, I don't know, at least 10 years, I would try to eat as natural as possible. Um, and, um, I used essential oils and, um, sorry about that. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I tried to be as, you know, I guess granola as I could, right. so to speak. And so, you know, even somebody who, um, is as healthy as possible, you know, gets it. I mean, I have a patient that right now she's a naturopath and, um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So. Okay. Yeah. um, I mean, and I, yeah. So I kind of always just, I'm curious about that. Um, my, my breast cancer came from the paternal side of my family. I don't have a relationship with my biological father, but that's where it came from. He has never had cancer, but I did. So some of those things that you talked about, like, you know, what did I do? kind of popped up, um, for Mm -hmm. me because I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, like I have this genetic mutation and it came from him, but here I am with it and he's never had it. So I feel like, you know, some people can really dive, um, deep into that whole questioning, but I think for the majority of people, there really isn't anything that you can figure out as to what, what kind of happened. Right. Right. So in terms of your treatment, did you opt, what were, what were the recommendations? What did, what were they suggesting? Well, um, I think it's pretty natural for everybody to want to have it cut out right away. Um, so I wanted surgery first, but my oncologist pretty much told me that that wasn't an option for my type. Um, so that I had to do chemo. Okay. So I had the adriamycin cytoxin, the red devil. Um, I had four doses of that and then I had 12 doses of taxol. And then, um, after that I opted for a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. Okay. So how long was it between, um, like your diagnosis to the time that you actually had surgery? Cause I would imagine that, you know, having that many rounds of chemo, it didn't happen every week. You know, it probably was spaced out, I'm assuming. And so my guess is there were probably several months between until you had your surgery. <laughs> Yeah, um, and my chemo went um, as scheduled, so I didn't have any delays in my chemo treatment. So from the time I was diagnosed and started chemo to when I had surgery was six months. Okay, okay, so longer than I I thought it was. Um, Yeah, it's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And exactly what you said, you know, most people are like, okay, let's get it out, let's get it out. So, you know, to to kind of have that six month period, I would imagine maybe created some anxiety 
or nervousness about, you know, is it growing? Is it doing all of that? Um, did you have any of those kind of feelings? Um, definitely. I mean, I think it's pretty natural to wonder whether or not what you're doing is uh, effective. Um, so, but, um, you know, every time I went in and saw my oncologist, she did a breast exam and, she, you know, and I would feel it and it, I felt it getting smaller. So I knew that, um, whatever we were doing was working. Okay, good. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, through the, throughout those six months, they would be monitoring to kind of see, you know, what is going on and is it helping and, um, those kind of things. So, so you did the reconstruction, um, you said immediate reconstruction, after the I did, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then did you opt for implants? Did you opt for using your own tissue, kind of a hybrid of the two? Um, we did. He said that my plastic surgeon said that I didn't have um, enough tissue to do my own. So we did uh, silicone implants. Okay. Yeah. And um, in terms of, so there's this you know, whole big thing about the textured implants and all of that yeah. that's kind of happening. Um, do you have the textured implants? No. Okay. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't actually, I think I know one person that has the textured implants. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of curious that it just seems to be blowing up, um, pretty significantly recently. Um, right. Right. So. You just go through cancer treatment and then you get these textured implants that give you cancer. <laughs> so right? it's like, Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I hear you. So you mentioned that you were um, also estrogen positive, but just barely. So did you have to do any kind of hormone therapy or were they just kind of like, well, you know, it's, you know, not at a high enough level to warrant that? Um, I didn't have to do any hormone therapy, um, but um, my oncologist said that it would give me a 5% reduction of it coming back. So I'm opting to do the hormone therapy. I think primarily because I'm so young um, and your chance of it coming back, I, I think goes up 1% each year. And so by the time I am in my 60s, I have a high chance of it coming back. So um, if I can reduce that by 5%, I'll take that. Absolutely. I mean, do... Do what is all that you can, really, right, right, right. Um, to kind of reduce that risk. So are you taking tamoxifen or is it something else? Um, I just, um, I started on um, exemestane uh, or aromacin, and then um, I just switched over to letrozole from that because I was, I have a lot of, um, like, pain from the medication and um, a lot of hot flashes. And the letrozole doesn't reduce my pain at all, but my hot flashes have kind of reduced a little bit. So um, a little bit more tolerable. And then I'm doing the um, um, uh, Lupron shots every three months. So Okay. And yeah. so I hear you on the hot flashes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that there were, you know, days where I was just like, take off all my clothes. I'd wake yes. up in the morning and I'd have a pool of sweat just, you know, on my tummy. And my husband would reach over and be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the most disgusting <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> um, and so Lupron, that, does that put you into medical menopause? 
Yes, I had already um, went through menopause during chemo, um, and so they just wanted to keep me there for an additional two years. So I have one more year of Lupron. Okay, okay, all right. And then, so did you have to do any radiation at all, or they felt like they had got clean enough margins that you didn't have to to even go there? Uh, yeah, no radiation. Um, they told me after my mastectomy that I had a complete pathological response to chemo. So wonderful. Yeah, this best um, case scenario. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, like at this point, how often do you go back for any scans or follow up, or you know, what is your, what does your treatment kind of look like now? Um, so I still go and see my oncologist every three months and I get the Lupron shot and I get my blood work done. Um, and she does a breast exam. Um, and they, I really don't recommend any follow-up scans, um, other than checking on my implants. Um, so I don't, I haven't had any follow-up. I mean, I had a, um, MRI before I had my mastectomy there. They just started doing that, um, to better target for the surgeons, um, kind of what to expect and what to look for when they get in there. Um, but other than that, I haven't had any scans. Um, and, uh, I, uh, um, just get my Lupron shot every three months, pretty much, and take my medication every day. So, okay, yeah. And then, so in terms of being in medical menopause, are, do they have any concerns in terms of like osteopenia or osteoporosis? Has that ever been a discussion? Yeah, I had a uh, DEXA scan, a bone density scan, before I started therapy, um, and then I will get one when I finish therapy. Okay. Okay. So there's not, they don't kind of monitor in between. They look at the before and then maybe the after and kind of figure out if there's anything that needs to be done in that regard. Right. And then just, um, making sure that I keep, um, I consume adequate calcium and vitamin D and, um, and then after two years, um, my, cause I didn't have any, my ovaries taken out or anything like that. So, and then hopefully my bone density will, um, be good after those two years. So, right. Right. Yeah. Kind of once the ovaries are like, okay, we're back in business, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that will hopefully help, um, if there are any issues. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your support system. I mean, you were 34, you know, this isn't, it's not typical. Uh, you know, obviously we're seeing women diagnosed younger and younger, I feel like, um, as, as we keep moving along in the years. Uh, but so being 34, like, where did you find your support? Who was there to kind of help you through this? Um, my husband was a huge support, um, for me. Um, he took care of me. He went to every, um, chemotherapy treatment. Um, we have three kids and he, I, um, he basically took care of them. He was basically a single parent for more than half a year. (laughs) Um, he was pretty amazing. And then his, um, sisters, my sister-in-laws, they came, um, 
down from, they lived like three and a half hours away and they would come, um, every few months to kind of help out for a little while. Um, and then, um, I have a friend who's also a nurse practitioner, but she is, um, she has the BRCA gene. Um, so I'm actually going to be going and helping her cause she's going to be getting her mastectomy. She never was diagnosed with cancer though, um, next month. So <laughs> yeah, she came down and helped, um, for, we do laundry, clean the house. Um, she was pretty amazing. So I was really fortunate that I had so many and it's, you don't realize, I think how much support you have until something like that happens. Absolutely. So, and then you yeah. sometimes you don't realize either like how much you might have taken care of um, until you're in that position right. and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Right. You know, I need yeah. to have these people, you know, people around me to, to help me through this. So, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like you had a, a solid support system around you. Did you tap into any like support groups or organizations that offered retreats or anything did you do any of that? Um, I pretty much uh, was just was really active on the Facebook support groups, um, and that was pretty much it. And through um, getting chemo and meeting people there and Facebook, um, I was actually really fortunate that I was able to develop a support group here in my town. Um, there were, um, there was another, there were two other women that are, um, close to my age there in their forties, um, that were getting chemo, um, when I was, and, um, and then another woman who's in her fifties. Um, and so all four of us have kind of become uh, really good friends afterwards. So, um, that was really helpful, but I haven't done any of the groups where they have retreats or anything like that, but I would definitely be interested in doing that now. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is one called first descents that is based out of Oregon. Um, so if you haven't looked into that one, it sounds like yeah. they do some pretty cool things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I just hooked up with them and there was a retreat, I think this month or next month. And, um, I let them know that I wouldn't be able to make it this year, but next year I definitely want to do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I'm over the age limit at this point for that one, but <laughs> I would highly encourage anybody that can do it to do it. <laughs> so, so the four of you just kind of connected and did you, like, did you meet anywhere to kind of sit and chat or was it just develop this friendship and it just kind of, you know, you'd hang out and talk via Facebook or text or whatever? Yeah, we did a lot of um, uh, talking via text, um, especially as we were going through treatment because we all had the same, same day treatments and so that's how we met. Um, and so we would all sit next to each other during chemo and everything. So our chemo buddies, um, 
And, um, and we've just gotten together as a group a few times since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, we haven't really set up anything. I think there's a, there's several of us that are a member of the booby buddies Mm -hmm. Facebook group. Yeah. And there's, um, um, there, we, we did have a one or two meetings, I think, together. I think I was just finished chemo when we had a, a meeting. Um, but we haven't had another one since, the, since that first initial one. I think that was last year. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's not, again, nothing is cool about this. However, <laughs> to find a group of people, you know, that are kind of going through the same thing that you're going through and really have mm-hmm. an understanding and to develop a friendship out of that. Like, I, I think that's super important because these people are people that know and you don't really even have to talk about it. Like, you just know. Like, right. today is chemo, you know, today I feel shitty, you know, tomorrow right. I'm going to feel like even more so. Um you know, those kind of things. So um, I think that's great. I had a group as well, and I, I actually called them my cancer cronies, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we all kind of hung out. So that's great. Um, so you talked a little bit about being a nurse practitioner and how you educate women. Do you think that having gone through your own experience has helped you even more so with your patients? I definitely, um, I, it's, it certainly helped. I think, um, you know, that one, uh, aspect where, um, people think that, oh, I don't have any family history. I'm fine. I'm safe. Um, was, is a huge, huge, um, education piece that, um, has made a big difference in my patients. You know, I, I try to tell them, look, you know, genetics is very, very little to do with, um, breast cancer. Um, so it, just because you don't have any family history doesn't mean that you, you can't get breast cancer and that you really do need to, um, do yourself breast exams. There's, I mean, I would have to say that 80% of the women that I see and I do do women's health, um, don't do self breast exams. Yeah. You know, and so it's a big teaching point for, for, for me. And I try to really take advantage of the time I have with these women, um, you know, when I see them, uh, to really kind of push that. Um, I, you know, um, uh, I, I, I'm a little bit more sensitive to um, when women say, no, I don't want to have any mammograms or no, I haven't had one in 10 years. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, I just, I, I really try to get to like, what is it that, you know, um, that is deterring you from getting this, this preventative, you know, exam. And it's a lot of, um, mistrust in the medical community is part of it. Um, and then just education, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, you know, certainly we never ever wish to have this experience, but definitely being able to take this experience and put it into your practice will certainly help, you know, other women and absolutely encouraging the self-breast exams because I know absolutely that, you know, so many women are not doing self-breast exams um, and many, many women I know are not getting mammograms when they become of age to do so. 
Um, right. You know, and, and I think too, the other thing, you know, even though there is a not, you know, the link between the genetics and breast cancer isn't overly strong, knowing your family history, like having oh, an idea. super important. Absolutely. Yes. I had no idea that I had so many family members that had cancer of, you know, different kinds and that it would be linked to something that I would end up dealing with myself. So yeah, I think you're, you're definitely in a great position to be able to support people in a different way. And I think it's great that you've taken your experience and used it to, to help other people. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping that, you know, with my experience that I can hopefully help other women, you know, um, not necessarily prevent them from getting breast cancer because there's nothing I can do about that, but at least, um, you know, help them catch it at an early stage. So, right. Just the awareness, just, yeah, exactly. You know, I was 34, <laughs> you know, I don't have any <laughs> genetic, um, link between my breast cancer and, you know, so yeah, I think all of that's, um, great to kind of have in your tool toolbox. I mean, and again, not great, <laughs> but, um, right. You know, to be able to use that information to help other people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, I was just, um, I had a patient that hadn't had a mammogram in a long time. And, um, you know, I kind of, all my patients um, knew what had happened to me when, cause I had been gone. I couldn't work, um, um, for seven months I couldn't work. Um, so all my patients kind of knew, they knew what had happened and whatnot. And I had this uh, woman who hadn't had her mammogram in quite some time. And I'm like, look, you know, I'm young. I, I ended up with breast cancer. You really do need to, you know, go in and get your mammogram. So she went in and got her screening mammogram and, um, came to find that she had breast cancer. Oh my gosh. you know, and it was early stage and that's, that's what I hope for, you know, out of this experience that I can at least bring some, um, good, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I always felt like if my story helps at least one person, exactly, certainly you have already done that because who knows how much longer she would have gone without getting a mammogram and, you know, what could have taken place had she waited any longer. Right. Exactly. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, Your story, you know, certainly uh, will help other people, no doubt. And, um, you know, we talked about so many different things and sometimes it's, you know, a little hard to kind of rehash some some of those things. But we appreciate you being willing to share. And uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was, um, I love being able to talk about it and um, spread the awareness, um, you know, because I think that if women just uh, wait, too, they just wait too long, you know, everything's fine, you know, I'll be fine, it's nothing, and then, and then it is something, and, it, and you're not going to be fine, so, right. you know, just going in and um, making sure that you're taking care of your health also helps take care of your family and, you know, and other people around you. So I'm really honored that you asked me to be a part of this podcast and thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, 
please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.